And I was thinking how exciting the time ahead is. Lots of changes. Lots of different people doing different things at different stages in their lives and God moving them on. As Mike's already took, go forward. Go forward. Go on. God's already doing it. And we've got evidence and examples of that in lives within our own fellowship. Paul mentioned when he prayed, we've got Sim and Simone joining us. And that's exciting. I'm excited by that. I really am. But I also was thinking, yes, we've got Sim and Simone joining us up here. And he's coming. And he knows he's got a job to do. And he knows that God has put that purpose in his heart. And that's why he's coming. But what I wanted to remind us this morning, before Sim and Simone get here, at the start of a new year, that doesn't absolve us from our responsibility. From us still having something to do. In fact, it probably should prompt us to, you know, consider what it is that we are doing and what we should be doing. So I thought Paul's prayer was actually a great example for us. And when you really look at this prayer, it's amazing. He prays in verse 19 that believers will be filled up to all the fullness of God. I want you to sit and think about that for a little minute. That is incredible. That is incredible. To be filled to the fullness of God is amazing. And then as if that's not far enough, look what he prays in verse 20. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. God's power is the only limiting factor. And God's power is not limited. So here's a real, we don't make resolutions, do we? Bob's reminded us. We don't, we don't make, get into the new year and go, I'm going to do this this year. But here's something I think that we should put forward. A real goal, if you like. And it's not a New Year's resolution, but it is something to get excited about. I'm going to say that we should pray this prayer often. If we don't already, we should pray this prayer often. Pray it so that we and others will experience growth in Jesus. Because that's what Paul prays for the Ephesian church. It says in James, doesn't it, that we don't have because we don't ask. I don't think we should be guilty of not asking God. Let's not fall into the trap of not asking. Remember, we've just, like, we've just celebrated Christmas. Remember the angel's words to Mary. Nothing will be impossible with God. If knowing all that, and what's to come, and what God can do, and the fact that his power is unlimited, and he wants us to ask him to do stuff through us, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will, but it should excite us. I want you to notice, we should pray this prayer often for ourselves, and for others, for our family members, for our church, for other, other churches that we have on the road here, for the wider fellowship, of believers I don't know maybe get the verses stick them on a card 
tuck it in your Bible, highlight them in your Bible. Some people don't like to write in the Bibles, do they? But I'd, I think you should. I think you should scribble in there, highlight stuff. Extend this prayer that we've talked about this morning to whoever God puts on your heart. Especially those people who you know or believe not to be saved. I just want to note some things about Paul's prayer. And the first one I want to note is, I want you to look at what he asks for. Not in detail, I'm just talking about very generally. He prays and his attention is much more focused upon spiritual growth rather than physical or material needs. Now, some of you will know the backstory to this prayer and where Paul is at the moment when he's writing this. He's in prison. But he's not asking for, he's probably not getting fed well. He's probably only got the clothes on his back. He's probably not being very well looked after. But you don't, that doesn't come through in his prayer, does it? You don't get that from his prayer. He doesn't pray for his own needs, physical and, 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 and to be looked after. He prays for spiritual growth within the church. His prayer is in humble submission to and dependence on God the Father. It's one of the very first things he says. I kneel before the Father. He could have just said, I pray. But he didn't. He said, I bow my knees or I kneel before the Father. And he's not talking about having to kneel down every time you pray. That's not the point he's making. The point he's making is about his heart. It's about his attitude before God. It's about reverence and submission and humility and adoration of God. The Greek word, I've not got Huey here, so he can't back me up that it is the actual Greek word, but I've looked it up. The Greek word means forward, toward, or face to face with. And along with the word father, it implies being intimate with him. It, It implies being intimate with God. For this reason, I kneel before the father. It means I come close to him, I come face to face with him. I'm intimate with God the Father. He prays based on God's grace. Not his own strength. Not what Paul can do. Not what someone else can help him do. But he prays based upon God's grace. Not his own performance. And he prays in faith. Knowing that God's supply is limitless he can provide everything that Paul needs Paul prays doesn't he in that verse 16 that the father would grant according to the riches of his glory the Psalms tell us that God owns the world and all that's in it if God owns the world and all that's in it and Paul says that God would grant according to the riches of his glory, imagine what God can grant. Just imagine what God can grant. We know that he owns the world and all that's in it, 
And not just the world that we see around us, but all of it, everything. Everything that exists is his. I think that should remind us that we should pray believing that he can fulfill our requests. Not with some kind of vague wish or vague hope that he might, but that he can and he will and he does. There's another example in there that Paul, Paul prays for the Father to grant strength with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner person. Why do you think Paul prays that? Well, I'm going to offer you a couple of reasons as to why I think he prays that. I think one reason that Paul prays that and that we should pray this as well is that because some of our problems are beyond our strength or ability to, to solve. We can't fix everything. So we have to pray for the power of his indwelling spirit to help us. Because I don't know about you, but I'm fairly certain I couldn't get through a day, a week, a month without God's strength, without guidance from him. I muck up all the time. When, it, when it's left to me, I get it wrong. I muck it up. But I know that God doesn't get it wrong. So that's one reason I think that, that Paul says we should be praying to be strengthened through God's power in his Holy Spirit. But another reason I think that we should be praying this, and the reason that Paul prays this for the Ephesian church, is because through his spirit, it says, in the inner person, God changes people. God changes people. Changes me, changes you. He changes outward behavior by dealing with the heart. And some of you may have noticed, we've already had prayers this morning that talk about not just being able to say the right thing, but being able to live the right thing. And the only way we can do that is through God's strength, through His power, through His Holy Spirit, which indwells us and changes us. His Word tells us to be conformed to the likeness of His image rather than what we look like. I don't know what I look like on the inside. I don't know what my heart looks like, but God, God can tell what it looks like. And I'm thankful that he's the one fixing it. And it's not me. That he's the one at work. You know, science, modern science, has made some amazing discoveries incredible what we can do can you the scientific adva advances just in the last 100 years are incredible but science hasn't worked out yet how to impart life to a dead thing as wonderful as science is science can't impart life to a dead animal or a dead person but god does it daily 
God brings life. New birth. Those who are dead in their sin transformed to being alive in Christ. Say it all the time, don't we, Edward? Through the life-giving power of His Holy Spirit that's at work within the inner person. Amazing. So we should be praying, just as Paul did, for inner transformation for ourselves and for others. And not just that the outward kind of behavioural stuff would change and everyone would look at us and think we're great, but that we would really be changed in our inner person. That's what matters. Are you a new creation? Has God given you a new heart? Is it evident that we've got a new life in Christ? Are our desires and our motivations different to what they used to be like? Is it evident that we love God? It's probably not always. I bet there are times when people struggle to see it in me. But that shouldn't stop us striving. That shouldn't stop us from wanting God to be at work and asking him to be at work in in our inner person that we would be better, that we would be more like him. Verse 17, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. It's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because Paul's writing to people who are believers. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians, to people who are believers. And he's saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We know through God's word, don't we, and through experience that Christ does dwell in the heart of all believers. We know that, we believe that. But this is something more, isn't it? This is more, this is talking about Jesus, about Christ being at home. In your heart. Being resident. Living there. That closeness, that intimacy again. May Christ dwell in your heart through faith. Not through your own strength and through your own strivings and through you keeping Christ in there and not letting him go. But through faith. Trusting in him. That he will honour his promises that he will see that good work that he started through to completion. And as Christ dwells in our hearts, we've got to trust him. We've got to obey him. It's hard. But biblical faith, the faith that you read about in the Bible, the faith that Jesus describes, that Paul describes in his letter to the Ephesians, this faith is active. It's not passive And what I mean by that, it's not where you just let go, that you kick back, you put your feet up and you put your hands behind your head and say, oh, God's got it. He sorted me out, I'm all right, I'm good, I don't have to do anything. It's not what it means. This is talking about an active, daily reliance upon God. Actively relying upon God's promises daily. 
And here's the difficult bit. Regardless of our circumstances. And that's hard. Now, for me, comparatively, I would say I've had a comfortable life. But for others, that is hard. You think about those, those brothers and sisters, those Christians who are in, in places around the world where you can't worship freely. Where you're not openly allowed to proclaim the name of Jesus. And yet you've got to, you, it says, have got to have an active reliance upon God. Brothers and sisters around the world in that position amaze me. I've never been in it. But the faith of a person, the faith of a person to be in that position and, and still hold on to God in their heart in that way is incredible to me. It's an, do you know what? It's an encouragement to me. The thing is with Christ dwelling in your heart, it means he progressively takes over each element of our lives. It's not like, boom, in he comes and everything's fixed and you're done and you die and go to heaven. It's not like that. The, the Bible tells us, God tells us through his word about a journey from the moment when we're snatched from the jaws of hell to the point when we're in glory with him. We're on a journey with him daily. And we have an active part to play in that, in relying upon him always. It's a lifelong process. There's no known area of our lives that we should, be at, we should be uncomfortable in having Christ in. And that's, that's a challenge as well. Because some, sometimes we'd like to keep a little bit just for ourselves, don't we? Oh, this bit of my life, that's not for church. This little thing that I do or I, or I say or, I, or I, you know, that's not for the people that I go to church with. That's just for this group of people over here. It's hard to do. Paul continues on. He prays that they will be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 17. We should be praying that. We should be praying that for ourselves. We should be praying that for others. That we would sink down into the roots of God's love. Seen at the cross. Which we remember when we share communion. His great love in, in dying for us upon that cross shall be the foundation of everything in our life. His love for us is what should spur us on. Paul then prays in verses 18 and 19 that we will be able to comprehend or understand with all the saints the unfathomable, unfathomable extent of the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. I'm sure you've experienced Christ's love in many ways in your life. I have as well. And that experience is multiplied across the whole church. We've all experienced Christ's love in some way or other. All of us. 
isn't it great when we get people here and they give testimony? We put a real, not a reliance on it, but we put real store in this fellowship. We put real store in hearing people's testimony. Why? Because it tells us about God's love in a person's life that we haven't experienced. Someone else has experienced it. And yet through standing up and sharing testimony, that experience is widened. And we have a bigger understanding, a greater understanding of God's love. That's why we share testimony. So that the church and the people within the church can have a bigger understanding of who God is and what God does. Why? Because it strengthens us. It strengthens us. Paul prays that they would have, they would have an unfathomable extent of, of the love of Christ. They would understand it. They would have more knowledge of it. We should pray too. And then he goes on in verse 19. Now this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. Pray that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is like, this is like the summit of the Mount Everest of prayers, this. It talks about and it refers to the perfection of God, of which he himself is full. It's a prayer that God will totally fill or control every aspect of these people's lives, our lives. That's what this prayer is. It's talking about God controlling your mind, your attitudes, your goals, your motives, your emotions, your relationships, even your finances, every decision that you make. Whatever you think, whatever you do, it's talking about God being in control of it. It means to be all that God wants us to be. Or, to make it a bit shorter and a bit more understandable, to be spiritually mature. To be spiritually mature. Not a spiritual baby anymore. Filled to the fullness of God and his perfection. As with this entire prayer, this process is never going to be complete in this life. But it is, as we've already said, God's goal that every believer will be conformed to the image of his son. Every believer will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And Paul says, doesn't he, that he presses on. He presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That's for us as well. And then he comes to the conclusion of his prayer. He prays for God to do far more abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think for his glory. I want you to note just a couple of things. I mean, we could go on through this prayer forever and a day, but I want you to just look at a couple of things. Paul is not guilty here, is he, of not praying big prayers. It's a big prayer, this. Let's not be guilty of praying small, safe prayers. The prayers that we know, that'll, that'll, God, God can, it's only a little thing, God can sort that. Yes, we should pray those things, but let's not stick to them. Paul prays big prayers. No prayer, no thing is too difficult or too big 
for God to deal with? Nothing. Just a, a word of caution in there. Sometimes, sometimes, for reasons we cannot understand, God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we hoped. Sometimes. There's a mystery about it. There's a real mystery about it. But we have to accept that we cannot always understand God's ways. We never will. But that shouldn't prevent us from praying. God says pray. Yes, we won't understand his ways. Yes, sometimes we won't understand the answer that we get. But we also get told, don't we? And we say it often again, that all things work for the good of those that love him. I'm, I'm using my own words a little bit, but that's the gist of it. All things work for the good of those that belong to him. So we've got to trust him. The other thing that Paul prays for within this big prayer is for God to be glorified. That God will be glorified by converting sinners and sanctifying his saints. God's glory is the ultimate goal of what Paul says. It should be our ultimate goal. We should pray for salvation. But pray for salvation because it's for his glory. It requires his resurrection power for it to happen. He has to grant faith and the ability for someone to repent. But listen, if he can save me, and if he can save you, and if he can save Paul, who describes himself as the chief of sinners, he can save anyone. He can save and sanctify even the most difficult, horrendous person you know. So I'd encourage you, pray for them. Pray for those people in particular. Pray that God will do far more abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think for his glory. So I started off by saying I think we've got a lot to be excited about this year. I really do. I really do believe it. Blesses me when Mike stands and Bob stands up and says, let's do this. Holy Spirit inspired by God. I think, I think it's evident that God has been at work in this fellowship. I think it's, it's evident that he's at work still. And it's evident that he's got a work to carry out. And I'm, I'm excited. Sim and Simone have, have expressed their excitement about coming up and being with us. But I think it, it requires us, as I said at the beginning, not just to put our feet up, not just to put our hands behind our heads and chill out, but I think it requires us to take some of this stuff seriously. Let's get serious about praying for God's wisdom, for God's revelation, for God's guidance in how we can serve, in how we can help Sim and Simone do the job that they've got from God to do. Pray that we'll be strengthened through his power, through his spirit. Pray to the Father that he would deal with us in the inner person. Pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Pray that we'll be rooted and grounded in his love. Pray that we'll be able to understand 
the extent of the love of Christ. Pray that we'd be filled to the fullness of God. Pray that God would do far more than we can think or imagine for His glory. You see, wherever we're at with God, wherever we're at, however mega a Christian we are, there's always more. There's always more. Paul's prayer for us and for others is what I think we should be praying as a fellowship regularly. Pray for a year of unprecedented growth in Christ. That when we're here, this time next year, New Year's 2024, we can all be sat here saying, look at how spiritually mature we are. I'm, not, I'm joking about that. Not that we come and brag about it, but that we can look back and go, we prayed that and God answered. Amen.